0: Rev it up and welcome to Cars Yeah, show number two thousand three hundred and forty-seven. Be prepared to be inspired. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, inspiring automotive enthusiasts, and welcome to Cars Yeah! Today, I'm down south in Rancho Mirage, California, very near where my sister and my mom live with a very special guest by the name of Stuart Roland. Stuart, welcome to Cars Yeah! Do you have any gear, and are you ready to release the clutch?
1: I think I'm ready. I I may never be ready, Mark, but I'll do my best.
0: (laughs) I think you're ready. I think you were born ready, given the kind of career and the, the business you have. And before we get into that, I always like to ask my guests kind of a little interesting introductory question here. And it's this. What's one little thing that people don't know about Stuart Rollins?
1: Well, certainly over here, very few people don't know. Well, in fact, very few people know the fact that I started in rock and roll, and I quickly I went from there to diplomacy and into, if you can believe this, into into sports, and then into motor racing. And believe me, of all those, you know, motor racing automobiles, everything else like that is by far, for me anyway, the safest. You want to try <laughs> boxing or rock and roll uh, or diplomacy. I mean, you, you, you want to be stuck in... Uh, never mind. Uh, and if, if, <laughs> The fact is, is that motor racing to me is, is the best of all sports. And when I started here, which was with, really with Freddie Spencer, although I did a little work in Florida uh, with Don Garlitz and those sort of people on the oh, drag wow. racing circuit, I have to say that uh, uh, my eyes opened. I, I was stunned by frankly the quality of the people I and mean, these were young very very talented people I thought Blimey. okay
0: <laughs> you know this is very fascinating starting with rock and roll now our listeners will recognize that stewart has got a bit of an accent and I've got to ask because we had a wonderful little pre-show chat here about your past where's the accent come from and does that relate to uh, your childhood in some way
1: well, I think so. I, I'm from a little town called, or rather large town in Wales called Newport, but then we moved to Abergavenny, and I came home one day from school, this is true, and my father said, what did you say? And I said, well, repeated whatever I said. The following week, he sent me away to school, to one of these huge, grey, terrifying places, you know, like Tom Brown's school days. It was absolutely terrifying. Oh, but wow. Apparently, my my grandfather, and he had been there, and everybody else had been there, and, and that's where I got my accent. I had, a, you know, a non-learn Welsh in fact.
0: Okay, oh well, this is very fascinating. Well, yeah, be careful what you say, you might get sent off to boarding school. Oh, gotcha. Well, let's dive a little deeper in your world. I want to give you an introduction first though. Here, Stuart Rollins has worked in the PR business for over 35 years, managing public relations and publicity for a wide range of companies and individuals. His focus includes creative thinking, strong personal relationships and relying on his vast experience in the automotive industry. He's worked with major players in the field including Bridgestone Tires, Honda Motorcycle, Lucas Oil, MAV TV, Colgate Palmolive, Chevrolet, Suzuki and many, many others that are very notable especially in the automotive industry. Previously, Stewart served as Vice President of Global Public Relations for IMG with special responsibility for the Nobel Peace Concert Peace Prize and the Nobel Institute, including the Peace Prize Awards to President Carter and Secretary General of the United Nations Kofi Annan. Very, very cool. We'll be back in just a moment to learn a lot more about Stuart and his world. But first, a word from our sponsors. So please give them a little love. They keep the petrol in the tanks here. And these days, it's costing a lot to keep the petrol in the tanks here. Man, gas prices just shot up again. We'll be back in just a moment. Years ago, when it was time to renew my collector car insurance policy, my carrier's rates went up. 9324 and protect the ones you love, like I did, with American Collectors Insurance. Classic car insurance designed by collectors for collectors. For several years now, you've heard me talk about Linkage Magazine. I've been a subscriber since the start. Their talented and creative team brings you a spectacular publication and website that shares the automotive passion from a worldwide perspective linkage is about driving restoring collecting and first-hand experience at collector car auctions and more they bring you real world values plus rational experienced opinions on the current markets they cover the automotive world and the people who share our passions and linkage magazine has grown mailing you six issues annually join me on this journey with linkage they're geared for the automotive life you can subscribe at linkagemag.com So, Stuart, we are back. So we touched a little bit on this childhood of yours, but I want to maybe bring it forward a little bit of how you ended up here in the United States working in the world of PR. So can you give us a little bit of a a history lesson which brings us closer to today?
1: Got it. Okay, so I, I took off for London and basically joined my brother and he he was a he was a manager. In fact, he still is a manager and a producer. But he managed Rod Stewart for nine years. Oh
0: my goodness! And that's wow. how
1: yeah, that's how I started. So. It was Tom Jones and Rod Stewart and Jimmy Cliff and people like this, Spencer Davis and all uh, Island Records. And that's literally how I got my feet wet. And I used to run up and down Fleet Street, which is the big newspaper uh, uh, or used to be the big newspaper street in London, Mm -hmm. you know, with with all the papers, which, you know, sold seven million a day, you know, half a dozen of them and uh, and pitch stories. And that's how I learned basically hands on how to do what I do.
0: Oh, my gosh. I mean, those are some big names you guys worked with. I I guess we could do a whole show about working with people like Stewart and Jones and some of these other mega stars that. Are still even around. I just watched a video with with uh, Rod Stewart the other day. How he's finally decided at seventy something years old to stop touring, but he's still going to keep performing. In fact, he's doing stuff with Boy George, which is quite interesting. But good lord, or that industry must have been fascinating to work in. So let's move forward a little bit into motorsports, though, because this seems to be the area that you landed with a passion. Dare I say?
1: Oh, absolutely a passion. Because what happened was that, um, I got, got hired, an American company out of Detroit called, and I've forgotten what they're called now, which you were talking a long time ago, but they brought a dragster. Uh, a rail, uh, the first rail ever to England in actual fact and they ran it at Santa Pod and they asked me to handle the publicity. So what I did, I couldn't resist it. I had seen this huge sort of rear engine, absolute monster, nobody knew what it was. So I parked it in the middle of Chelsea outside a hotel, got hold of a very pretty girl and and uh, and then a the policeman who very obligingly uh, and I got hold and I put Spencer Davis in it too. Like mm-hmm. I thought I might as well satisfy all the clients while I'm at it. Um, and we took it to took some photographs, and the policeman pretended to write uh, a, a ticket. And we made the middle of the, of the I think Daily Mirror, which was $7 million a day, as I said.
0: Oh, my gosh.
1: Oh, yeah. No, it was a lot. You, we had a lot of fun. I marched gr- rock and roll groups up to, you know, 10 Downing Street. Um, but that's how I started. And we did the ra- I did the racing series for them. Then I, of course, landed in dip- Diplomacy, and I started going in and out of West Africa with various uh, sort of ministers of the British government. And then coming back, and suddenly there was a letter on my desk that said, would you like to come to America? You did a good job for us last year, and you were terrific. Can you, would you want to come and work for us? And that's how I came to America.
0: Oh, my gosh. So when you landed on this side of the pond, what happened then?
1: Uh, well, it was a company. It, it, was a, it was called the Star Strip of Florida, um, which was a, 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 basically a drag racing trap and a very good one. And this guy uh, um, knew, knew his stuff, and we promoted the heck out of it until unfortunately we didn't. And I suddenly found myself sort of, um, out, of a, out of a job, so decided to come to California.
0: <laughs> well, go west, young man. As they say, that's where you'll find the gold. So, all very good. So, when you came out west, what happened then? Because you've been in this PR game for a long time.
1: Well, my brother. Suddenly, turned up and said, "Come on, we'll get a flat and we'll go to we'll go to Los Angeles." So we did. So we drove across. We got into Los Angeles, and he got a job. He produced a record called "Let Me Think." Take a no, he didn't produce it. He managed the act. "Take a Letter Maria," oh, uh, which yeah. went to number one in the charts. Oh yeah, and and um, and I. And I got a job. We went to look, It is a true story, we went to look for an apartment in Hollywood and there was a big place there that looked like a, uh, a ship's funnel and we, he, he said, you go one way, I'll go the other, and we'll knock on doors, find the manager, because they said apartment for rent, but they didn't say which apartment to go to. So anyway, he, I went one way, he went the other, and he's knocked on a door and, uh, and he said, my name's Jonathan Rowlands, and the girl's voice said, hang on Jonathan, I'll be right there, and, and she, it was a, song ring, a songwriter. Sharon Sheeley was her name. That's right, a songwriter, oh, wow. and she came out and she got Johnny a job in the record business, and she got me a job about actually two doors away in, uh, um, on Sunset as a publicist. And um, I mean, and it then turned out to be some of the most sort of frightening and funny times of my life because <laughs> it was Muhammad Ali and people like that. Well, you know,
0: oh my God, those are
1: tough clients. So yeah. uh, that's why I said racing is, is by far the most gentle sport I've <laughs> ever been. <laughs>
0: (laughs) You know, I I think, yeah, the song, I think it was by a guy named Greaves. Take a letter, Maria, and send it to my wife. Yeah, I remember that song. Yeah,
1: R.B. Greaves, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, very cool. uh, What's his name? Sam Cook's nephew. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. Fascinating. I don't know how these weird things pop up in my mind all the time, but at any rate, well, so as you uh, came west and worked with some crazy wild As a publicist, uh, eventually got more into race cars and supporting companies in the automotive industry, which, of course, in Los Angeles, there was probably quite a few. Well, Mark,
1: you probably know. Do you know Steve McLaughlin?
0: No, I don't know that name.
1: Okay. Oh, well, he he used to be with Honda. He was a race manager at Honda, and then I think he went to DF Dancer Fitzgerald Sample, which was an ad agency which had, I think, the Honda account. Mm. Anyway, Steve hired me or got me hired at Honda to do their racing, the road racing, and they particularly hired me because they wanted me to help with Freddie Spencer, which was their new upcoming star. And they wanted me to, to, you know, to look after Freddie and, you know, make sure he knew what he was doing and, 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 you know, when it came to publicity and public relations. And thank goodness, Freddie was a natural. And I only had to tell him something once, and he, he just uh, took to it. He, he was incredible. I'll give you, I'll give you a quick example. We're in, we're in England doing the Transatlantic Trophy match races uh, for Peter Starr. And uh, wherever we are, I forget the name of the... God, I'll think of the name of the track in a second. But anyway, there were all the cream. I mean, Kenny Roberts, Kevin, I think, was there, Freddie Spencer, um, oh, Eddie Lawson was there. And they were all on the, um, the American team, obviously. But also, there was a, a quite strong English team, which, which was, I thought, you know, really terrific. And so anyway, I said to, to, to Freddie, came over to me and he said, look, this is some time before. He said, if I'm famous, can I be rich? Will I be rich? And I said, Absolutely. <laughs> he said, really? Okay. So so he said, now you tell me what to do, and I will do exactly what you tell me. Wow. So there we are in in, in actually Donnington Park uh, in, in the pits. And he came over and he said, oh, I don't know what to do. I said, T- I'll tell you what exactly what to do. Who's the star? Come on, tell me, look around this place. Who is the star? Who's everybody talking to? And he said, Barry Sheen, three-time world champion. Of course. And I said, yes. So he said, what do I do? I said, take your hat off, take your glasses off, smile, walk over and start talking to Barry. Barry will know immediately what you're doing. And he did, and he put his arm around Freddie. and of course, all the photographs in all the, you know, the motoring magazines and then the newspapers, what, the, <laughs> you know, starting the following day, were those two together. Wow. And, it, 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 uh, and that was the start of it. And I remember doing, for example, another classic example on Freddie was we were at Laguna Seca. And I forget whether we were testing, or it was the USGP, or whatever it was. But the fact is that I had arranged for 14 interviews, and I did every newspaper, Every radio show, every uh, all the way down, because Freddie was flying out of LAX and I lived in LA, and we spent an entire day. We got did did fourteen interviews, and, and, and that's what you have to do. I mean, I. I think today there isn't enough attention paid to the racers themselves, and far more to their equipment. And I, and I—that's just a personal opinion. I don't agree with it. I want to know where a racer is from. I want to know. I want to know his background. I want to know the town, so so I can talk to all those people and help build him up from there.
0: Well, I think I agree with you for sure. And of course, Freddie Spencer, known as Fast Freddie, if I remember back, I think it was '85 was his championship year that he uh, raced. Was it? For Yamaha? Is that who he's running? Really yeah, he
1: won the 500, and then he won the 500 and 250 the following year. Yeah, yeah. The, I think he's the only one to do the double like that. Yeah. Tremendous, tremendous talent and, and very smart man.
0: For sure. Well, I think you're right in the, the way of how to make – People more interesting to the general public. You think about the Drive to Survive series on Netflix, which has really turned, especially yes, in the U.S. Perhaps. I mean, Formula One upside yep. down. There's people now that weren't even didn't even know what Formula One was that are now fans, and it's all because they got behind the scenes. They get into the people's lives versus just seeing cars go around and you know uh, manufacturers' names and things. Well, this this entire publicity thing rolled into and for the past what was it, thirty five plus years, you've been PR person for a lot of well known companies as a way that. Kind of got us together although our mutual friend Doug Stokes we got to do a shout out to Doug because he's he's really the one responsible for getting us together today but when you think back to your history could be current or past have you had what I call a driving inspiration somebody oh, you probably had a lot of them but somebody that really stands out as a very influential mentor type or someone that really helped you become successful
1: that's a very good one I used to know a a chap years ago called Reeve Whitson, who was seemingly everywhere, everywhere I went into into in any kind of motorsports. He was here in the West Coast, uh, in Southern California. I met him again in London, and he always seemed to, you know, to be hanging out with Dan Gurney and those type of people. And a very good chap to know and and. Uh, I'd have to say, Reeve. I don't have a particular driver in mind. Um, although, gosh, I mean, frankly, I used to, I used to, I used to you know, love, love watching Ray Hall or Mario or, or Michael. Um, I made a short film with with Michael called New Kid on the Block when he went to Formula One, and we didn't finish it. I, I produced all the American end of it, and so they dropped they dropped the film. But he was very impressive. His dad was impressive, obviously, as well. Yeah. But uh, but uh, I really enjoyed working with Michael and and to might actually, no, my partner talked to Ed and Senna about him oh, because wow. they, were, they were teammates, and Senna said, Hey, Michael has it. If, he, if he's coming full-time to Formula One, he has it. And Michael didn't want to go. He didn't want to stay there and stay in Europe racing every race like his dad had done and won the World Championship. Huh. But he certainly had the talent.
0: Wow. Well, what could have been? Well, no doubt as you built your career, you probably were uh, up against a few challenges, I'm kind of guessing. And uh, I always like to ask my guests about one in particular that really stands out for you that was maybe extremely challenging, but when you look back, you're kind of glad you had to deal with that challenge because it taught you a really valuable lesson.
1: I have to say that in that case, and it has to be, I know we're not talking motor racing for this, but we are talking, um, uh, for example, Muhammad Ali. Mm. I did three fights with, with Ali. And the first time I met him, uh, I was pushed by my boss who uh, didn't want to do it all himself. And he pushed me into the Century Plaza Hotel in, in, in uh, Los Angeles. And he pushed me through a double doors and suddenly I went into a room and there must have been a hundred of Ali's followers and all in beautiful jackets and ties and what have you. And Ali was the only person I didn't know this at the time, in a shirt. And my boss pushed me in the back and he said, Champ, Champ, I want to meet you to meet Stuart Rowlands. He's gonna work on your campaign and this
0: and you did, now? Did you not even know that at the time? Was this kind of a surprise?
1: I, I knew I was going to. I just oh. didn't know that it was going to be oh. going to be today. <laughs> at that and moment. I figured that Shelley would take the lead. Yeah, you know, as he as he normally did on this. But mm-hmm. anyway, I get in the room. It's packed, and suddenly you could have cut the silence with a knife. And Ali turned round, and and he, he seemed to be about six, seven, or something. But he was actually what six two or six three, and in, in his white shirt sleeves. And he said, and he looked at me. And he said, "Is this the guy who called me boy?"
0: Oh no! And
1: I thought, "Oh boy!" And I'm, and I'm, I'm, my socks are wet. I'm sweating uh, so much.
0: Don't no kidding. Okay. Yeah. Whoa! <laughs>
1: it's true. I stood there, almost shaking. And uh, this enormous hand came over about three people and gently took my my hand and shook it and said, "Pleased to meet you. Looking forward to working with you." Oh my! And God. that was that was. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so so he <laughs> was using tell you many some of more that. Of those stories.
0: So he was using some of that Muhammad Ali humor to kind of. Uh...
1: Absolute, absolutely, absolutely. Very fun. Very nice man to work with.
0: Or break the ice. Well, I was going to ask because, I mean, he's a bigger-than-life character, obviously. And he's just one, I mean, but you had been around a lot of bigger-than-life characters. So yes. did that help you in that situation, besides your wet socks, uh, to... Uh, kind of know how to, to deal with him and, and the, the it begs the question, when you're when you're working with clients that big, how do you set yourself so you can focus on how you're gonna help them? Do you just kinda of go, Okay, this guy puts his pants on just like me, or how do you how do you do that, Stuart?
1: So the focus has to be has to be on me. I'll give you an example. I'm doing the Nobel Peace Prize, and it's Kofi Annan, Secretary General, and apparently our, the the IMG TV crew haven't showed up, and a bunch of stuff because of some storms down in South Africa. But anyway, so they, I get a phone call. Take care of it, okay? We've got Kofi Annan. Get him interviewed. Get him to the local TV. And so I thought, well, I can't do that. I'm not going to get run him around the houses. Um, and so basically, I got NRK and and, and the television crew for. Uh, uh, you know, Norwegian, whatever it is, television. And I, I put on my bath suit too, and a tie. And I w- walked up the steps of his hotel. And of course, there were gunmen everywhere. I mean, machine guns, what have you, um, in protective protective gear. And I just said, "Morning, lads. Morning, morning. How are you?" how are you, sir? And, and they all saluted. And <laughs> I walked up, they must have thought I was a visiting general. And I walked straight through the hotel lobby, straight up the stairs and straight into the main suite, which was where Kofi was, and brought my TV crew with me. Oh my! Gosh. And it, you, sometimes you have to do that. You can't be afraid. You're, you're going to get beaten down a lot. And let's face it, I've had uh, some disasters in my life, but that was a success.
0: Well, do you think the key here then, this is a really important lesson, I think, for for people, because sometimes people meet, let's not even say a megastar, but somebody that they hold in very high esteem. And they get tongue-tied, they get a little, well, a lot, you know, they they crawl into their own shell. They don't know how to act. I've learned doing over 2,350 shows now that... When I, when people call like you and I've never talked to each other in our life, this is the first time, Uh, but we're friends now automatically. So what I try to do Uh, is uh, just pretend like I already know you and you're my friend and I'm here to serve you today and help you. Do you find that is the right approach to take when you, especially if you have a client, but let's just say even somebody you're just meeting for the first time that you do get some of their time, you're not just being an intrusive fan, if you will. Is is that a little secret to how to have that confidence?
1: You must, ha- you must have that confidence. You must, mm. They must think, gosh, I, I, I was doing the LA Open and, and for, for Bridgestone, funnily enough, and I, we'd done some, a lot of go-kart racing, uh, and then we did tennis, and then we did golf, and, and they would sponsor the LA Open as a secondary sponsor. And I suddenly got a call, and I hadn't been, I'd been out of IMG then for about three years, and they said, listen, we, 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 we have a problem. We need somebody to take care of Arnold, meaning Arnold Palmer. He says, oh, I said, okay, fine, I, I can deal with this, and as long as you have that confidence, mm. and I set him up at the LA Times, and I walked into the players' dressing room and, you know, knocked on the door and, uh, and asked for Arnold, Arnold came. I said, Arnold, you wrote, you, you want? he said, of course I do, Stu. Uh, I said, look, I need you, we've got a problem, we've got a deadline, and you know, the LA Times is on a deadline, can I borrow you for 20 minutes? He said, sure. And he walked through with me signing autographs, as Arnold always did. It took us 20 minutes to do about 30 yards, I think. But we anyway, but we got there. We got in the room and we did it.
0: Yeah. You know, I think you said the right word. I, you, you reminded me of something when I was in, I think it was junior high, which is an awkward time for most kids, right? Yes. Kind of growing up, kind of find your way. And I remember there's this this kid in our school that seemed to just have everybody as a friend. And, I'm, I sit back, and I was rather shy, and I would sit back and go, why is this guy like so popular? What, what is it about him? And I was asking my dad, and he said, well, I've never seen who you're talking about, but I can guarantee you it's one word, confidence. He's very, probably learned to be very confident not to be arrogant or overbearing, but he's confident no. in his own skin. He's comfortable with who he is. And he right. said, Mark, that's what you got to figure out how to do. Get comfortable in your own skin. Well, you, you tell that to a junior high kid, and it's like, what does that mean? <laughs> you know, I'm pimply faced and I'm trying to figure out how to talk to girls and, yeah, all that. But, uh, well, wonderful lessons. I think you and I could talk forever. Uh, we got to get, a get uh, together again over a pint, perhaps, and uh, I'll just be a good listener and listen to your many wonderful stories. But that's 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 why I have you on the show today. Of course, this is Cars Yeah, so we've got to talk a little bit about your passion for cars because I know you love motorsports. I know you love cars because that's where you mm. ended up. Is there one special vehicle in your life? Now, this could be a car you owned, or maybe it's a car you were lucky enough to jump in. Maybe somebody tossed you the keys to a race car and said, hey, take a lap, dude."
1: Well, I've always thought the prettiest car ever made, and I did have an E-type Jaguar oh. uh, convertible, which was which was lovely. About a '64, I think, something like that, which was promptly stolen. Oh, oh no! I didn't last very long with that. Oh yes, oh yes. Uh, and then then my problem my problem is uh, I had an MGB, which is which is lovely, but if I had I'd had a car. And we're really talking about wanting now. I would like an MGTF. should I say the Mark II, not with the spokes, but with the steel wheels for cleaning. Um, I, ju- I just, I'm, th- that's my car. I mean, that's, that's. The, I'd like to see a, I'd like a Morgan, for example.
0: Oh, really? <laughs> that's that's okay. my problem. Oh, yeah. Well, that's your problem. Well, I have to laugh at that a little bit because we all know a little bit about MGs and so forth. Now, you sent me a picture I believe it's you as a rather young man in a, uh, looks like an MGTC, am I right?
1: No, it's, that's my father. That's oh, that's my your father. father. Oh, with oh. that p- particular picture, and I have the letter. Or at least my brother has the letter. He, with that letter and that picture, he pr- proposed to my mother. <laughs> oh, no <laughs> so kidding. I couldn't oh. resist it. Wow. I'd read, I'd read your story on the TC with your father yes. and your, you and your sister. Yes. And I thought, right. Well, uh, then, uh, you know, I've got a TC story of my own. Okay.
0: Well, that's very cool. Yeah. Well, that's the car that started it for me. It took a long time before I ever had a British car in my driveway again and that was uh, when I started vintage racing. I raced a, a Lotus 18 Formula Junior. Oh, did and, you? Yeah. Oh, that and, sounds fantastic. And a uh, 1967 Lola T290 sports racer, which was a much faster car, a lot more fun. Much faster. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Well, uh, I have a bit of a uh, special degree. I bequeathed it to myself, but so it's not really real, but <laughs> I like to think of it as I'm a car psychologist, and I'm going to crawl into your head <laughs> a little bit here, Stu. If you were reincarnated, pun intended, manifest as a vehicle, now, what you want to be, though, this is how you perceive your personality as some kind of a vehicle. What would you be, but more importantly, why?
1: Ah, uh, I think, uh, oh, no, this is, uh, sorry, it's probably not a proper thing to say, but <laughs> I have to say the E-Type Ooh. Jaguar. And the reason why is because Sterling Moss, who I was a big fan of, said it was the greatest comfort gatherer of all time.
0: Mm. <laughs> um.
1: And I, and I was single at the time. Yes. Uh, so, yes, and that's a long time ago, so we so we, we, won't discuss it too loudly and don't <laughs> tell anybody else.
0: I will. Uh, anyway. Well, that car is another car that did it for me because my father, when he got his TC, the gentleman who, who sold him the car had a Jaguar E-Type. And I must have been five years old, I would guess. And I remember going over to this guy's house, and my dad was all enthralled with this MG that he got, and I couldn't. Get away from the Jaguar. I mean, to me, that car was just like a spaceship. And my father took me to the drugstore. No, the hardware store in his MG. And the first matchbox by Lesney that he ever bought me was a red Jaguar E-Type coupe. I still have it to this day yeah
1: okay do you do you okay okay yeah oh very nice i I don't think i've ever seen one otherwise i'd have bought one i think that's that's fantastic well just
0: go on ebay you'll find one somewhere in in there a lot of people selling those things but i still have mine i believe i even still have the box that came in because i took really good care of my little toy cars but i like that about you Stu. you're an e-type you're my kind of guy so let's talk a little (laughs) bit about reading i love books we like to share books here is there a great book that you could share with our listeners
1: Book review occasionally for L.A. Car, okay. and I just did their Lamborghini book, and I did just did a. Oh, actually, no, I've got to finish it. The Triumph Cars 100 Years. I've got to read that. I personally like books which I, I, I like adventure stories, uh, um, which take me, you know, to Spain or Portugal or wherever it might be. Those are my favourites. But I do read an awful lot of car books. You know, whether it's about the Mini or the da- or, or Damon Hill or whatever it might be. Uh, I seem to do. Uh, or, or, in fact, I did. I reviewed the MG classic MG car book for the L.A. car. So I, 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 I like it. I like reading about cars, and so I will always read car books. I, I read, actually, one fiction and then one car book. I probably read about three books a week. I just I love reading. I, I think it's a, a forgotten art.
0: Well, of course, yeah. You know, that uh, Triumph Cars 100 Years, is that a book by Ross Alcurish Alcurishi? I think is his last
1: name? Yes, it is. It Absolutely. is. Absolutely, okay. by Ross
0: Alcurish. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I know that that book well yeah I do a lot of the publishers of that book I do a lot of their writers and authors on my show and uh, that's a great book as well I've got a copy of that so very very cool so Stu we're gonna have a little fun here as if we are having fun already I'm an enabler I guess you could say I'm gonna provide you with any car in the world don't worry about the cost because I'm gonna pay for it I'm gonna park it in your driveway you can take it for a drive anywhere in the world but here's the best part you can take anybody with you including somebody from the past it's no longer with us. So if you want to go on a drive with Sir Sterling, ah. you can do that too. Oh, but that, that's, that's a fascinating one. <laughs> yeah. So what does the ultimate drive look like?
1: I'd have to... Um... Take my father, uh, and I'd, it would again be the E type. Except it wouldn't be the E type. No, no, to heck with it. It'd be an Aston Martin, I think, <laughs> quite honestly. So I could get my golf clubs in the back. Cause okay. My father, I, I am a terrible golfer. I am terrible. I mean, you're talking to, you know, somebody who's Arnold Palmer's PR man, yeah. and I can't hit a ball five feet. Drives me <laughs> insane. Anyway, so my father was plus two, so he could play a lot. I figured, I, I figured he owes me some lessons.
0: Okay, that would be cool. Well, I like that uh, that little pun on words drives you. Insane! You can't play golf. Yes. Very nicely done. So, which Aston Martin are we talking about? Are we going to go James Bond style?
1: I think so. I okay. think I, I'm a bit of a actually, I'm a bit of a traditionalist. Ah,
0: okay. Um,
1: I, I I can't help it. Everything I like, and that's my experience, is older, and I could never afford. Well, So, you know, I'm... I'm guilty of
0: that, too. I think it's called having a champagne uh, taste on a beer budget, is what they call that. So, uh, yeah, there's always all these cars that I'm in love with, and I always say when I meet somebody that's not into cars, and I start talking cars, and their aisles roll back in their head going, I'm so bored, and I'm like, why couldn't I be like you and not care? (laughs) You know, so I don't don't want all these wonderful, beautiful cars, like a DB5 or a Jaguar E-Type or... Oh, sure. Any of the wonderful, beautiful cars. I think, I must
1: admit, I think I go DB7, to be honest.
0: Oh, I a think. 7. Okay. Um, All right. I can do that. Yeah. Okay. Golf with your father in a DB7. Very cool. That would be pretty darn special. Stu, you and I could talk for a long time, and I'm really, really happy that uh, Doug recommended that you uh, learn a little bit more about Karsian, and we ended up finding each other because uh, you are a fascinating guy. That's one of the things I say about my guests. They're like Forrest Gump's box of chocolates. I never know what I'm going to get, but it's always pretty tasty. Uh, Before I let you go today, could you leave us with some parting words of wisdom or advice when it comes to life since you're a guy who's been around the block? a few times? Yes, I would. I
1: actually, I'd rather, I'd rather quote, uh, quote Winston Churchill when he got up in a sort of commencement address and, um, you know, he was supposed to give a, a, a sort of half an hour talk and he got up and he looked at his audience which I think was uh, um, from Eton or Oxford or somewhere like that and he said, never give up and then he sat down and, he, and, 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 the, and, the, and everybody started looking at each other yep. and he stood up. Never Never give up. And I, I, that is the best advice I can give for a PR man ever because you cannot, you can take no, but you must be able to always go back into the client and you must be able to go back into the outlet and repitch or resend or, try, or, or get this interest in some other way. Um, you know... The industry has changed a lot, and obviously it's, it's, uh, um, uh, it's a lot of social media uh, and in artificial intelligence, AI, mm-hmm. but... You know the days where I taught people how to get lost in the LA drunks. It's just true, long gone. And yeah. all that kind, of, all that kind of stuff, and how to hold hands, and how to—if you can't get to the guy himself, get to his assistant, get to his secretary, talk to her, talk to him, whoever it might be, make them your friend, be able to go back in, pitch after pitch, and so forth. And that's. That's never give up. You cannot give up in PR. You simply can't.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's great words of wisdom. And what's interesting about this, Stuart, is, and I've heard that quote from many people, but almost, in fact, I think every race car driver, and I've interviewed hundreds of them now, I think over 400 perhaps, those are the words every race car driver shares, every single one. Because, of course, as you yes. know, in racing, uh, it's one week and you're a champion, the next week you're not. But that works in yeah. every case. And again, where were you when I was in high school asking girls out? I wish I'd known that. Maybe I would have asked them more than once and not been so rejected and I would have had more dates, but uh we learn these things as we get older and you've taught us a lot of wonderful things today. How can people learn more about you, Stuart?
1: Well, if you my my um website or I, I, yes, it's www.stuartrollands.com, or I'm on Wikipedia. There's there's a couple of write-ups and there you can see, you know, some of the the uh, um Videos I have produced, like Freddie Spencer explains motor racing, or probably Ray Hall explains, you know, uh, um, Indy cars. And, uh, you know, I did a series for ESPN, and you can look under racing. You look at motor racing on my website, and then you go down to racing, and you'll see there's a, a blue racer. You just open that up, and you can see some of the videos I've made. It's been a wonderful ride, Mark. I have to say, I didn't expect it. I backed into a lot of this stuff. I just happened to be in the right place and right time. And you also, that's one other point. Take the chance. Get your head knocked off six the, out of seven times if you have to, but take the chance. If somebody says, can you do something, the answer is yes.
0: <laughs> and then figure out how to do it.
1: Then figure out how to do it. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Wow. Well, Stuart, this has been a true delight. And again, a big shout out and a big hey to our mutual friend, Doug Stokes. He seems to know everybody, doesn't he? <laughs> he does. He, he does, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Doug, thank you very much. Stuart, this has been a true delight. I want to thank you for spending some really wonderful time with me today and your experiences. Again, we got to get together again next time I'm down there in Southern California for a, a, a pint or a coffee or something because I want you to learn a lot more. <laughs> it would be wonderful.
1: My pleasure and a pleasure talking to you and a great show, by the way. I, I follow your series every week. I mean, I literally do. And, and I've, I've tr- tried to go through as many as the profiles of the people you have, uh, and, and it's a good learning path for me. I mean, it's, it's about people I don't know, some of them, people that don't, I don't know, and the different approaches to different jobs in the automotive industry, and that's to me, is interesting. I'm a people person as well as a car
0: person. Well, I appreciate your kind ears. Until you and I talk again, my friend, I'll see you down the road.
1: Indeed, Mark. Thank you very much for having me.
0: It was my pleasure. Bye-bye. 2050. Or 100 years from now, will there be a workforce to care for the collector vehicles we love? With auto shop programs disappearing across the country, it's a question we enthusiasts have to ask. That's why I support the RPM Foundation, which exists to ensure that the critical skills necessary to preserve and restore these vehicles aren't lost to time. One of the many ways RPM, which is short for Restoration, Preservation, For more information on how the RPM Foundation is driving the future of the collector vehicle skills trade, visit RPM Foundation today. They're one of the charities of choice here on Cars Yeah! Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah! Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun.